0: It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. I couldn't be more amped up to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Mike Schultz co-president of the Rain Group, and best-selling author of books including Insight Selling. You know, 2016 is a big year, and it's happening right now. You know, have you put in place the action plans that will make a difference in your results this year? You know, are you making small changes around the edges, or are you making wholesale changes to your processes that will really transform your performance? And do you understand which changes, which refinements, and which investments will produce the biggest ROI in terms of improved sales productivity? My guest today has just published a research report on where you should be focusing your energies and investments to transform your sales performance and hit your goals in 2016. He's going to help us sort it all out. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Well, it's my pleasure. It's good to talk to you again. So for people who may didn't hear us talk once before, we did a video about a year ago. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how
1: you got your start in sales. Uh, Sure. Well, it all started when I was five, and I read In Search of Excellence, (laughs) and I was inspired. Now, how did I get involved in sales? That would be a great story, by the way. Yeah. Um, Potluck. So I had an internship in college where I was uh, working at a division of a consulting firm, helping them bang up proposals. So I was at a consulting firm, and I was also in sales, and I worked with them in marketing. So I knew coming out of school, I wanted a job in marketing, consulting, or sales. And I ended up potluck at a sales performance consulting firm as the junior guy working on analysis and projects under more senior consultants. So right there, out of undergraduate school, I walked out of uh, I walked out after graduation, and a week later, I was at. A Fortune 500 company corporate headquarters in Miami at seven o'clock in the morning. It was hundred degrees. I was wearing a suit and ready to do sales performance analysis. So, uh, I mean, a lot of guys get into this after selling for a long time. I'm just a lifer in sales performance analysis. But I also ran a division of another consulting firm. had had um, uh, had uh, executive level sellers working on my team, and then started uh, Rain Group. Now going on 14 years ago.
0: Wow, 14 years. That's great.
1: And Rain Group has offices now around the world. Uh, yeah, we have. Um, we've been expanding quite a bit. Uh, our our headquarters in Massachusetts is uh, in the Boston area, uh, and we cover North America from here. Uh, but we also have offices in Geneva, Mumbai, Sydney, Johannesburg, uh, Toronto, London. So yeah, we're 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 expanding.
0: The empire is growing. So.
1: The Empire does strike back, though. The empire does gotta strike be back. You got to
0: be careful, right? Well, let's talk about this report that you guys uh, published, and what was sort of the impetus for it? I mean, what what did you see that said, "Okay, let's do this research, let's uncover this data"?
1: Uh sure. So, I think it's kind of it's kind of interesting when it comes to selling. Everyone seems to say do this and it'll have um, a magic magic effect on your sales or here's how it's changing. So now you have to do that. And a lot of times it's these little individual things that you should adopt and do that's going to change your fortunes. Uh, I was talking to uh, Neil Rackham a couple of years ago about some of our other research uh, and he ended up uh, writing uh, the foreword to our last book. And I'll I'll just share with you something from from that Mm -hmm, foreword. And he wrote... (laughs) I ask you to forgive me a moment's bitching if I pick out a particularly unhelpful trend in many of these about to become best-selling business books, especially those in sales that use what I call the Armageddon selling formula. The approach goes something like this. Everything you've learned in sales is wrong. And until you, and unless you stop doing it instantly, your sales efforts will die <laughs> shortly in agony. There is, however, one simple cure that I've discovered, and it's... And then the author puts in his this, his that, or the other thing. Uh, and then... He goes and says uh, later on that the Armageddon formula to sales doesn't help anyone when, for example, a serious journal like the Harvard Business Review publishes an article titled The End of Solution Sales that Damages the Credibility of All Involved. The sales field has been growing up nicely in recent years. It can live without this kind of overstatement. So the question is, is all right, if there's no silver bullet around, uh, then what should companies be doing to drive their sales organization to be stronger? A couple of years ago, we looked at what sales winners are doing these days, what sellers are doing to win sales through the eyes of the buyers. But we wanted to look at the organization because not a lot has really been published uh, on what on what top-performing sales organizations do differently from the rest. So we wanted to give it uh, a full effort and a year of serious inquiry and see what it shook out.
0: So who did you survey for this then? Was it so, you know, primarily a large complex or? Mm-hmm. Or was a high velocity transactional like a SaaS model? I mean, where where would you fall? in Yeah.
1: That? So uh, we studied responses from four hundred and seventy two participants across twenty six industries with four core buckets of professional and business services, financial technology, and then other, which would have um, which would have heavy manufacturing, semiconductor, um, different kinds of things in there. So it was eighty uh, percent management and leadership that we studied, but we also wanted to include sellers. Because we're asking them questions to describe their sales organizations, that we wanted to see if sellers and leaders saw the same things or if they saw things differently.
0: And Geo- what'd you find out? What'd you find
1: out? Oh, they saw things pretty much the same. So I wish I could say, "Wow, what massive disagreement between what sellers think of their culture and what leaders think of their culture, or what sellers think of this and what leaders think." Now they thought they thought uh, approximately the same, except in one area. Surprise, surprise! The managers have an inflated view about how good sales management is. And the <laughs> sellers say, yeah, I don't think so. So when it came to the evaluation of their own performance as people, they gave themselves pretty high marks. And the seller said, uh-uh, I don't think so. Uh, but besides that, you know, they, there was uh, quite a bit of alignment. Okay. Also, you asked a, a couple of other questions uh, from a revenue perspective, we wanted to look at mid-size and large, so we didn't accept any companies at all in the study that had less than 10 sellers. The average had hundreds of sellers, and 27% of our respondents were in companies from a billion dollars uh, or more in revenue. It was also global, with 57% coming from the Americas, 28% from Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and 15% from Asia Pacific.
0: So one of the key topics you talk about is the importance of sales process maturity. So how, how do you define or how do you assess, let's say, the maturity of a sales process and I mean are there particular metrics that you used?
1: Yeah, so when we looked at sales process but we also looked at the whole sales organization across eight factors. Four of them having to do with the organization and four of them having to do mostly with the people. So on the organization side, we looked at the maturity in an organization's strategy. Uh, which included things like leadership and go-to-market strategy and uh, the interplay of the uh, organizations inside of a company, um, the pricing strategy, things like that. We looked at structure. We looked at sales operations and sales enablement. And then from the seller side, we looked at talent management, uh, training, uh, the capabilities of the people, and the motivation. Uh, but inside of that, we also looked at things like selling process. We looked at strategic account management process. We looked at uh, lead generation process. And we asked our respondents to rate um, – it was about 75 factors that we looked at uh, – to rate those factors on a five-point scale. So uh, if, it, if they gave it a one, which is the worst – Uh, we called that um, ad hoc or chaos meaning like yeah there's really no structure or process to that or it's not very good or not effective or depending on the question. A2 was what we called uh, emerging so maybe some some shapes forming to things but no consistent norms. Three was defined you know we know how we're going to do this or it's somewhere in the middle or average. Uh, Four was what we called managed Uh, and that's for example things like the sales process where it's not just defined, but it's helpful, it's useful, people follow it, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then then fifth was world-class, where people just rated themselves to say, we are just fabulous in this area. So that was our five-scale maturity framework, and then we rated the companies across 75 factors in those eight uh, categories around what we call the sales performance wheel. And then we did statistical regression analysis to see which factors correlated with how we defined top performance so which ones did you find most correlated uh well the thing is we found a lot of them correlated and that that led us to if you say what are the key things that you took away well i wanted to know like is there a silver bullet were there key drivers of sales performance which i can talk about as well how we define that uh but you know, a lot of the study results were fascinating in many ways, but we didn't find that one silver bullet that if the organization did it better, it would revolutionize results. So we sort of came up with what Neil Rackham came up with. But we did find that getting the right mix across the eight, uh, eight uh, categories of the sales performance wheel, that's extremely important. And we also found that different companies do different things to get results, and it all depended on their unique situation. So I know that that is... Uh, you know, that sort of a, uh, hey, you know, I didn't tell you anything there, but um, but we found it's like, you know. Well, well so so, so it,
0: say name some of the factors that, that correlate, because I like, you know, sales process maturity was one that I thought was sort mm-hmm. of interesting. Uh, you talk about a value-driving sales organization. Yeah. That's, so, that's, sort of an, that's an interesting thing to define so, and talk about.
1: So some of the some of the key takeaways that we found. So first, before I talk about the, the correlations to top performance, let me just define you know what we looked at for top performance. So, um, a lot of times people look at, hey, did they reach their goals? Did the sales organization reach its goals? Well, you know that's important, but what if you have two companies in the same industry where one has really aggressive goals and the other one, the people say, nah, they're not really that hard to hit. And the one that didn't reach their goals, or the one that had really aggressive goals, maybe they didn't reach them, but they actually performed twice as well as the one that kind of sleptwalked their way there. So it wasn't just about goals. So we wanted to, have, to look at whether the goals were achieved, but also if they were challenging.
0: So how do you assess challenging? That seems <clears throat> pretty subjective.
1: Yeah, we asked them, are your sales goals challenging? And a <laughs> lot of people said yes, and a lot of people said no. And some of them said neutral. So if the, organiz- if the people were to say, uh, yeah, our sales goals are challenging, and we met them, then you know we, we, we did that. So, uh, but we also asked them if they were able to achieve, we didn't wanna just know if they hit their hit their challenging goals because you can undercut your price sometimes to, to doing that. So we also wanted to know if they did that and at the same time, they were able to um, achieve maximum prices in line with the value that they provided. Uh, And we also separated the database out based on quote or proposal win rate. And I realize industry to industry, uh, there can be some variation. Um, but we wanted we separated out the higher win rates because if you do the sensitivity analysis on win rates, if you increase your win rate from forty two percent for proposals to forty five, uh, you know the numbers are gaudy for how they go up. It just it just drives revenue and margin. So we looked at these factors together to create our top performer criteria. But what were some of the interesting things that we found? All right, so this is pretty. This this is something that I thought was really interesting. Of the seventy five factors. The number one difference between the the top performers and the group that we called the rest uh, was uh, the answer to our sales organization is effective at maximizing sales to existing accounts. So 61% of the top performers agreed or strongly agreed, agreed to that. And only 31% or just about um just about half of the of what the top performers agreed uh, of the rest did. So the top performers were twice as good in, in that area in answering that question. At the same time, they had much less sophisticated strategic account organizations in the rest. So having an organization that's focused on it and that uh, is structurally aligned to do that, we found to be very important. Uh, but we also found that the skills for driving account growth we asked the question: um, The organization sellers have the skills they need to find and win business consistently at a high level, regarding driving account growth. Four in ten of people, uh, of salespeople at the rest, had these skills, and six in ten, everyone said that they did not. So literally, uh, uh, only forty-three percent said they had the skills, whereas it was uh, you know quite the opposite in the top performers. 65% said they had the skills. So if you round it, it's closer to seven, seven and 10. So growing accounts was huge. Um, growing accounts was a big thing for the top performers. Uh, and the the group that we called the rest did not have the skills to do that, did not have the organization to do that. So that was one thing that we that really stood out because, I mean, the, the top factor of 75 factors is uh, is pretty interesting. And we're able to
0: drive sort of dive down into that and see what are those missing skills. I mean, you think about it, I mean, you- Calling on existing accounts to be able to grow and expand the business you're doing with existing customers.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we did so. So to be able to do that, you need um, skills to uh, plan accounts, you need skills to, to um, drive new opportunities, inspire buyers with ideas for what they should be doing more with you. Then once you have them as opportunities, you have to be able to manage the sales opportunity process and drive opportunity wins. Uh, so there's, you know, there's, there's quite a bit in there, especially as it relates to you know, accounts, how about developing executive relationships? So let's take a look. Uh, driving and winning sales opportunities. The, um, the rest were 50% likely to have that skill and 68% at the top performers. Filling the pipeline, 37% of the rest had those skills and 52% of the top performers did. And then things like, this one's really interesting, advanced consultative selling, which we defined as inspiring buyers with ideas and helping shape their agendas and think differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, only 32% of the, the people at the, the rest Uh, Had those skills?
0: The non-top performers.
1: Yeah, the non-top performers. The you know, it's it's capital T, the capital R rests. You know, the eighty percent of the database that did not match the top performer criteria, and about fifty percent of the um the top performers did. So there were big percentage gaps in the kinds of skills that they needed. Uh, but to your question, you know, did you dive deeper into that because it was such a big finding? Our next research report will be a top performance and strategic account management, which we where we can spend a whole research effort just looking at that.
0: Very cool. Okay, good. Well, we're gonna take a short break here and come back. I want to talk um, about the topics you had and the the findings you had about uh, value driving sales teams and how they invest in sales training because I think that's really an important topic here, especially in, here at the beginning of the year. So. Um, Before I go, though, I have a hypothetical scenario I pose to every guest, and I'll take your answer after the break. And here's the scenario. You've been hired as a brand new sales manager or sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. And Mm -hmm. senior management's really interested to have things turn around in a hurry, so what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? So think about that, and we'll come back after the break with my guest, Mike Schultz from The Rain Group. Attention, sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects, scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at livehive.com forward slash ROI. That's livehive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash R-O-I. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation free trial of my zero-time-selling interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time-selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time-selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? Send a text to nine six zero zero zero. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now enter the single word message TRUST and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time-selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back. My guest today on the show is Mike Schultz, co president of the Rain Group. And so I have given you a scenario right before the break. Your new sales leader hired into a company whose sales have stalled. What two things would you do the first week that have the biggest impact in terms of starting to turn around sales?
1: Right. And you said that they are anxious to turn around sales very fast, right? Yes, yes. So the first thing that I would do is lower expectations uh, in terms of doing something very fast because the people that want things very fast. Um, also, you know, I want a unicorn, and I would also like a pony for Hanukkah. But you know, things don't happen just because I want them to happen. Uh, I, I used to love the show Twenty Four, and one of the awful presidents who was making awful decisions that uh, you know that the you know the guys at the counterterrorism unit had to clean up was saying, "I want this, and I want that." It's like you know, I don't care. Uh, that's not necessarily reality. So the second thing that I would do is figure out what's actually going on at this organization that is not working because there's no silver bullet. So I would benchmark them against the top performer database and I would see where the gaps are and then I would be able to say, all right, these are the things that you need to do uh, that, well, if I was hired, these are the things that we need to do to turn around performance here uh, and here's how long it's going to take with the investment and effort. Now, it's quite possible, and it's often the case, that we find some low-hanging fruit. This this should happen, and this should happen fast, and this should make a difference, but I don't know that until I do the analysis.
0: Fair enough. I like it. All right. Good. Good. All right. So let's move back and talk about sales training. Yeah. Because, again, you'd, in the report, you say that value-driving sales teams invest more in training and have more effective training. So I guess the question is, especially here again with the beginning of the year and people are looking at their budgets and so on is is mm-hmm. what's a reasonable amount that a company should invest in you know, as a percent of revenue or percent of sales that they invest in sales training.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't look at it as a percent percents in, you know, uh, are called, you know, common size accounting that oh you should be investing this and you should be investing that. Depends on what you're trying to get done. Depends on what your opportunity is. So for example, I uh, have been speaking with a company recently who um, they merged three companies. The whole uh, value and reason that they spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in making these mergers happen. I mean, there was an acquirer, was because they sold different things to the same buyer that could be an interesting suite of things. And then three years later. The guys that were selling for that last company are still selling the same things as if the merger never happened mm-hmm. and there were no cross-sale, upsell, and there's no strategic account opportunity. But they're talking hundreds of millions of dollars of untapped opportunity is sitting in front of them right now because they screwed up the Salesforce integration, they lost their momentum and now they have uh, calcified behaviors of people just doing things the same way. All right, well, that's for serious investment if you want to go capture it. Um, But if you don't have that kind of opportunity, if things are already going great, perhaps you don't even need that much for sales training investment because you hire the cream of the crop because you have the money to do it and they come in with the skills and you don't do much. Uh, But the things that we found uh, well, actually, I mean, I will say that you know there are some some pretty common standards that you can find in the industry that for companies that invest in sales training, they invest somewhere between one and seven thousand dollars per person per year, with the averages being in the middle uh, on you know say external training plus, depending on the size of the organization, they have you know salaries and stuff, which is all part of the investment. Sure. Um, someone asked me recently, how many days should someone be training? Uh, from, to my knowledge, the top-performing organizations will train between six and eight days on skill-based kinds of stuff, uh, and you know, they're constantly doing knowledge-based kind of training. Uh, but I actually – and the average companies are doing more, more like four days. Uh, but and you can think about it as you – know, so the, the better companies are doing something serious once a quarter. Uh, so, so I actually want to change that, and with a lot of our clients, we change that because when they say how often should we, we be training, you know, I say every day. Because the way the technologies work today is uh, you can be touching people with all sorts of messages and all sorts of reinforcement and all sorts of behavioral guidance and skill development kind of stuff in two-minute chunks and four-minute chunks and 15-minute online learning. If you set up the curriculum right, it's way more effective than your typical two-day training, which uh, is super important. But if you don't do anything before and after, it, it's you know, forgotten. Right. So there's a certain amount of investment of time. Uh, but I will say that uh, the answers to the question uh, for for sales training investment, and I'm actually just pulling up the actual the actual data on that uh, for sales training investment. If you have the the you know, the top performing companies are actually investing uh, quite a bit more, and I'm actually looking for.
0: Yeah, which is sort of interesting cuz it, it it's a little bit counter to a point you you made a little bit earlier about you know many companies don't invest as much when they've got top performers but uh where they hire top performers but it seems like the urgency and the requirements really the same regardless, right?
1: Uh yeah, the urgency are are the same regardless of uh, but you know some people get behind it and some people don't. I actually, you know, we'll skip investment for a second. Sure. I just want to go to effectiveness. So the sales training effectiveness uh, in the rest, the you know, the eighty percent of the database that were not top performers, um, the percent that rated their sales training effective or extremely effective was fourteen percent. So
0: among the the non top performers,
1: among the non top performers, the right. top performers were were thirty percent, and we had also looked in the lead group, which was the top uh, the top seven um, percent of our database. They were about fifty percent effective. Um, yeah, so, so
0: what you're saying is is that you know people are yeah. stuck in this vicious cycle as they're under investing in mm-hmm. developing their own people, and their people are underperforming, and they continue to under invest, and so they just yep. continue to see that same pattern happen.
1: Yep, but, and I have the data on the top performers versus the rest on investment now. So the top performers were 62 percent uh, likely to have good or excellent investment in sales training, and only 27 percent of the rest had good or excellent investment, and that correlated to the skills. So I think one of those age old questions is is oh we've done sales training and it's not effective. Well you know what? If you invest the right and it's effective, you look like top performers. Then you flip the page in our research report and you say, Well, how's the skills how are the skills working? Well, you know, they have much higher skills. So then that that translates into what I want them to do. I want them to win opportunities, grow accounts, drive ideas, um, and all that kind of stuff, except if you don't have the training, you don't get the skills, and if you don't have the skills, you don't have the behaviors, you don't have the behaviors, then you know, a year later you're wondering why everything is not working the way you want it to.
0: Yeah, like the old uh, nursery rhyme, for the want of a nail.
1: For the want of a nail, indeed.
0: Yeah. So do you have in your data, and this interesting question for me as I was reading through it, I, I didn't see it, maybe I overlooked it, was how much the individual top-performing reps invest in their own development, right? Their own money, their own time, in addition to what the company puts into it. Because to me, my experience has been, is, and again, it's more anecdotal than you who are in the business and studying it, but that the top reps typically are investing more of their own time and money in outside what the employer provides in order to continue to develop professionally.
1: Uh, yeah, so we didn't ask that particular question. So that's the kind of question that if you want the answer to, you have to ask it. Uh, but I can tell you about you know, a lot of these questions sort of add up to culture. Those are questions like, you know, the level of sales training, investment and effectiveness, whether the leaders prioritize, uh, developing sellers to be as value as possible, whether the organization itself focused on driving maximum value, uh, whether the sales managers were effective. Uh, so a lot of these things went to culture. So we also asked a a question about the culture and we said, we asked, uh, does the culture drive and support sellers motivation to succeed? Uh, when even just sales training was effective, the answer to that question uh, was for like extremely or, or very effective for sales training. It was 80% said the culture supports it. When you go down to just somewhat effective, it was only 37%. So that level of investment, that level of effectiveness, uh, the, the focus on value all sort of adds up to culture. And um, if you want to know if the culture is – and I realize people come with their own fire in the belly. And if you don't have the fire in the belly, I can't light it. But if you do have the fire in the belly, I can certainly make that fire as strong as possible, and I can draw it out and make it nice and big. So, you know, all of these things pointed to culture, and culture really pulled out that that sort of self motivation of the seller that you're talking about.
0: So, and sort of last question on this on the report is: you talk about making value a mission. Yeah, yeah, you know, value is a big thing in my book, and actually, literally in the books I wrote. Uh, so, how do you inculcate value into a sales culture?
1: Well, the first thing you have to do is believe it, and I, when I say believe it, I mean really believe it, and not just pay lip service. So, if you ask anyone, say, "Hey, does your, your organization focus on driving maximum value?" You ask them face to face. You're at a conference. You meet them. They'll say, "Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. You know, we're big, big focus on value." But if you ask the question, um, you know, "Do you do that?" Um, and when you asked the question in a confidential survey, do you does does your organization focus on driving maximum value for the customer? Uh you get different answers. So the rest, only sixty percent of them, sixty-one percent, uh agreed with that. That means four out of ten um organizations in the group, the rest, uh they were just, you know, trying to make money off of clients, selling as much as I can. Um no, we don't really don't focus on value, we're just trying to, we're just trying to win. Well, that is just, that's just awful. So we looked at that question and five other questions that focused on value. And I mentioned, you know, the leaders prioritize value. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our sales process is customer focused and maps to the way the clients want to buy. Our sales process is flexible uh, to um, react to different buyers, buying styles and processes. So we looked at those questions. We have this value cluster. And then we looked at the results of the value cluster. And just these five questions produced... Uh, even higher win rates for the value driving companies even higher motivation than the top performers uh even uh much lower turnover uh, in the sales force and we even looked at what we called wanted versus unwanted turnover mm-hmm. uh so what's what's wanted turnover he's not performing right he left I'm glad he's gone the rest uh, and the unwanted turnover is why did one of our better people leave i would i would have wanted them to say so there was a a huge um a huge increase in Um, or a huge decrease in unwanted turnover when the companies answered those value questions in the positive. Very cool. So so how do you change it? First, you have to have the belief system. Then you have to find out if you're not value-oriented. We we actually worked with some companies where the leadership really believed they were value-oriented, and the sellers really didn't. They had a communication problem, not a value problem.
0: Well, and they had uh, two communication problems: one with management and the sales reps, and one with the sales reps with the customer.
1: Yeah, because if the sales reps are the customer-facing one, you know, you you feel, you know, what they believe. There, there's no way to hide that. Um, and it, it was a question of communication, but it was also a question of, of training and development. So they believed that and they wanted to do that, but the sellers didn't know what to do to execute that, so they just tried to hit quota. And there was a certain amount of sales managers that were probably a little too old school with the you know, ABC always be closing, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, second place gets a set of steak knives kind of thing. So you change, change a little bit of personnel and you just let the culture thrive. Other places, literally, you have to change the culture and you have to do that from the top.
0: All right. Well, how can people get a copy of the report? Uh,
1: so you can get a copy of the report in two ways. The Well, first of all, there's um, there's a free report, which is essentially a, a summary of some key points. Uh, just go to uh, raingroup.com uh, and the white paper section, and it's called Increase Your Win Rates and Beat Your Sales Goals in 2015. So that's, uh, 2016. That's, that's 2016. Oh, right. It's a new year coming up. How about that? But the actual full report and the full data um, you can either be a client of Rain Group—we don't sell them, but we share them with our clients—or uh, you can join our research panel. So, if you're an executive at uh, a company with at least ten sellers and you want access to our research, you can just send me an email personally, uh, M. Schultz at raingroup.com. That's M. S. C. H. U. L. T. Z at raingroup.com, and then you'll get access to all of our reports. And that's in exchange for you know answering a couple surveys a year.
0: Okay, excellent. So, last segment of the show, I've got some rapid-fire questions for you. So. You can give me one word answers or you can elaborate as much as you wish. You ready? Go. So, what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal?
1: Advice from Andy Paul. Oh,
0: thank you. <laughs> Name one tool you use for sales management running your company you can't live without.
1: tool for sales management regular review of goals and action plans. Okay. Do you have an app or anything that you use? Um... Not really, and we work with billion-dollar companies that just drives them crazy with the apps, and they end up just having the the manager share uh, share that with your salespeople however <laughs> they want. There's uh, there's sort of a a whole technology myth. Yeah, technology is important and getting your sales stack right and and on all that kind of stuff, but so much of it is just you know overkill on technology drives yeah. me batty.
0: All right, who's your sales role model?
1: Oh, see, there I could go with the Andy Paul. Um, I would say my sales role model is uh, a friend of mine named Dan Cohen. Uh, and that is because he wakes up trying to help people. He's also has a great personality. Uh, he puts the work in. He's super smart. Uh, and he'd never do anything uh, with a client that doesn't try to make them better. Love it.
0: So beside your own books, what are the books, one book that every salesperson should read?
1: What's the one book that every salesperson should read? It doesn't even need to be a sales book. I am going to say The Art of Profitability. I think that for advanced sellers, one of the biggest gating factors is they have no idea how to make impact cases. They don't know how the money works, so they talk in generalities about benefits, and they don't make the ROI case in dollarized terms. So if they got better at understanding how the actual metrics worked for the buyers for how they could get the financial benefit from what the sellers sell, I think they'd sell a lot more. Great suggestion. Now, who's the author? Do you know? Uh, Art of Profitability, if I'm remembering correctly, it is Adrian Slywatsky. Okay.
0: Well, we'll look that up and confirm it. That'll be on the website for this uh, show notes page for this particular episode. So that's a great
1: suggestion. I love that. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? The first sales activity I do every day is, um, well, first of all, I don't sell most of the time. I am the resident nerd, uh, and I do a lot of client work and a lot of research and analysis and a lot of um, running our global expansion. But what I do, sort of from a routine at the beginning of the day, is I have goals and action plans, so I know what I want to do for the year, the month, and the quarter, and I reread them once. Okay. Stay on track.
0: Last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople?
1: The one question I get asked most frequently by salespeople. I mean, I think a lot of it is, you know, the if you think about generalized questions, it's how do I communicate my value better? And I think that they do, uh, you know, universally when you look up, and you've talked about value Uh, The words like value, value proposition, uh, those kinds of things, they they don't serve sellers particularly well in a lot of the definitions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And I think everyone has a different different definition of what value is, and they're usually not very good. So what's yours? We'll finish off. What's your definition of value in sales? Ah, so I want to do it from the decision perspective. Sure. So at the end of every sale, you want a buyer to be able to do three things and to be able to communicate three things for example to their peers of why they're going to buy and why they're going to buy from you the one thing that you need to do is resonate and to resonate they need to be able to make the case why should we act and why should we act now if it resonates then it's valuable in that way that's Mm -hmm. the sort of return the second one is substantiate so a lot of, and that means, you know, so uh, why should we trust that this is going to work? Right. So a lot of sales are are not, you know, the ROI case is there, mm-hmm. but the buyers don't buy because they just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is, is if you can satisfy, resonate and substantiate, then the question is differentiate. So why should I pick you over the other options for doing something like this? So if you could answer the questions, why act, why now, why us, which is the differentiate and why trust, Mm -hmm. you will satisfy the buyer's buying criteria and you will have maximized the value. That's a great answer. Great answer. Well, thanks. I may have to steal it, but it's a great answer.
0: It's all yours. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Great talk, Mike. I'm glad for you to join us today. So again, how can people get hold of you?
1: Uh you can reach me pretty easily. Uh you can uh, find me on LinkedIn. It's uh it's uh in slash uh Mike Schultz fifty M S C H U L or Mike M I K E S C H U L T Z fifty, or you can send me an email at uh mschultz at raingroup dot com. You can also just Google Rain Group and send in a note and someone will find me.
0: Excellent. All right. Thank you again for joining us. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast can be an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of our conversations with leading business experts like our guest today, Mike Schultz, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show